Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer, come and speak to us this morning, Lord. Would you open our hearts to your Word as you open your Word to our hearts? For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man comes forward at the end of a church service to the front to ask for prayer. And so he approaches the pastor and says, Pastor, can you pray for my hearing? So the pastor, thinking... If he's hard of hearing, better pray louder. So the pastor raised his voice and said, Lord, would you open his ears, unblock his ears, give him healing that he may recover. He was going at the top of his voice for 10 minutes, praying, praying, and he was totally exhausted. At the end, he thought he would test to see if God had answered the prayer. So he whispered to the man and said, How's your hearing now? The man was totally stunned. And he said, I don't know. It starts next week. <laughs> Church, please forgive us uh, if sometimes the pastors are so blur and we pray for you the wrong thing when you come forward to ask for prayer. And, but that's not the case. Uh, that's not the case for uh, Paul when he made his prayer request known to the church in Thessalonica. And that's what we'll see this morning as we look at God's Word. His prayer requests were crystal clear. Paul often prayed for the churches, but Paul also often asked the churches to pray for him. And we see that here in our text this morning as he asked the church in Thessalonica to pray for him, for Silas and Timothy. So let's take a look at God's Word, just two verses this morning, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you, and that we may be delivered from the wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. It was Charles Spurgeon who says, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. And it was E.M. Bounds who says that prayer moves God to work. How does prayer move the hand of God? From Paul's two requests in the text that we see today, we see two ways that prayer moves the hand of God. First, prayer propels God's word. We see that in verse 1. And then prayer protects God's workers. Verse 2. We'll be looking at them one at a time. Of course, it must be noted that these are not the two only ways that prayer moves the hand of God. But at least from the text that we're looking at today, there are these two observations that we can make and these two lessons that we can learn. So first, prayer propels God's Word or 
To be more grammatically precise, prayer propels the advancement of God's Word. Let's look at the text again more carefully. In addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us, verse 1, that the Word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured. Paul's first prayer request was that the Word of the Lord would spread rapidly. There's this idea that it will go out very quickly and that it will be honoured so that it will not just go out, it will be received and honoured. You can sense the, the, the zeal that Paul has for the Word of God from this prayer request. But what we cannot quite sense from this is the rich imagery that is packed in into this prayer request. We can't sense it because it's lost in translation. In the original language in Greek, it, it would read something like this, Pray for us that the word of the Lord would run quickly and be honoured. And we go, the word of the Lord, run quickly. Still don't quite get it, right? You see, that was a picture that Paul had in his mind, and so did his readers. They got it immediately. We are from different culture. We don't quite get it. But what Paul had in mind was the picture of the Greek Olympics. And there were runners. And the runners would run quickly. They would run and give everything that they have because they sought to win the race. There was a prize at the end of the race, and that prize is a crown of glory. And in being crowned with glory, they are honoured for winning the race. That is the picture that Paul had when he said, May the word of the Lord run quickly. He's saying that in the same way that as the runners in the Olympics give it everything and they sprint in the same way, would the word of the Lord go forth and would it be honoured? This prayer request actually echoes the words from Psalm 147 verse 15 where it says, The Lord sends His command throughout the earth, His word, runs swiftly. Paul also uses this metaphor, the metaphor of the Olympic runner, uh, elsewhere in his letters. And I'm sure uh, some of these come to mind in 1 Corinthians, in Galatians, in Philippians, where he talks about running for the prize. So what we see here is Paul asking for the church in Thessalonica to pray for them, that in their ministry, the word of the Lord may go out and it may spread rapidly, it may run quickly and that it would be received and it would be honoured. This, this word picture perhaps may not quite connect with us so much. So let me try a different word picture that may hit closer home to us. Recently, the Singapore Grand Prix took place. Uh, my, my, my son is a Grand Prix fan. He watches the Grand Prix on his computer and then he is driving his own uh, F1 car on his phone at the same time, playing a game. I don't know how he looks at two screens at the same time. But during the Grand Prix, in the practice, he actually went for the practice. Uh, he, he didn't have the ticket. Uh, but he and a friend, ingenious, they found some spot in the bushes where they could actually see the cars just whiz past 
So I asked him, what's the thrill? You stand there, wait, one second, zoom, they're gone. And then you wait for them to go and around, zoom, they're gone. He says, it's, it's just the thrill of hearing the zoom. But he only did that for the practice track. For the real race, he was at home watching it you know, from the TV where you can see the whole race. But in, in the F1 race SS, the cars just zoom by. Uh, there, there may be some of us who are supporters uh, of, of a particular driver, and, and we would be cheering, or at least my son would be cheering, cheering for the drivers that they are supporting. And, and they may be in a race. Uh, Sometimes uh, this one will overtake that one, that one will overtake this one, and, and that's when it gets exhilarating. You, you cheer, you cheer for, for the driver that you are rooting for. And, and then as they come round the final lap, as they head towards the finishing line, your favourite driver just comes out in front and, and it looks like it's going to be a sure win. What do you do? Do you stop cheering? It's like, oh, okay, win, Ray. go and get a drink, you know. No, you continue cheering all the way until that driver zooms right past the finish line and wins the victory. And you know, praying for the victory of the gospel is something like that. As we see the gospel running, sprinting, and winning the hearts of people, being honoured, we know that God has in fact already determined right from the beginning that His Word will triumph in the end. So do we stop praying? It's like, oh, okay, we already know the results. The Word will triumph, so we stop praying. No, we continue to pray. And that's what Paul is asking. He's, he's asking that the church would pray for him that the Word that they bring will continue to spread rapidly and be honoured as we are caught up in the same way, in the exhilaration of the race and the last lap, when the winner is coming in, in the same way, let's pray that the gospel will continue to prevail all the way through to its victory on the last day. Paul asked the church to pray that the gospel would be honoured. And he even related that to the experience of the Thessalonians. He said specifically that it be honoured just as it was with you. You see, the Thessalonians had been exemplary in how they had received the gospel. But this was not the case in every city that Paul and his apostolic team had gone to. In many cities, they had encountered great opposition. In some of these cities, there was mayhem, there was riots, there was chaos. Uh, there were those who persecuted these preachers of the gospel. And elsewhere, the, the gospel was simply rejected and it was deemed as foolishness and it was mocked. So from the depth of these experiences that the, the gospel was dishonoured in many of these cities. Paul says to the Thessalonians, just as you have in Thessalonica, you have received the word and you have honoured it, would you pray that the word of God will continue to spread rapidly and be honoured in the same way? I'd like to share with you a story of how the word of God was truly honoured right here in this sanctuary last year. Sunday. Just a week ago, Linda, and you see her in the picture, Linda brought her son Caleb, who's also a Christian, and Caleb's classmate, Kai Jing, who's the one in yellow, who's a pre-believer, 
the three of them came to church together for Kai Jing was the first time that he visited us in Covenant EFC. And at the end of the message that was given by our leadership mentor, Pastor Edmund, last week, the other Pastor Edmund came up and called for a response. If you were here, you'll remember that Pastor Edmund said, if any of us would like to respond to the gospel for the first time, I'd like you to put up your hand. I was already over here in this corner because at the end, we usually come forward to pray for people, right? And I saw right at that end, the furthest away spot from me, one hand came up. And I later learned that it was Kai Jing. Very easy to spot because he was wearing a yellow shirt. So I made my way back all the way from the back to the other side. I waited to the end of the service. And I asked him, are you responding because you are praying to receive Jesus for the first time? Because sometimes people raise their hands and it may not be a first-time response. In this case, he said yes. And I was like, whoa, this was a first-time respondent who was praying to receive Christ. So I, I made sure he understood what he, he had uh, responded to. And then I said, can I pray with you? Uh, and and I, was going, I said, as I pray, would you just pray after me? Then he interrupted me. He said, before you pray, can you also pray for me that I will find my lost airports? <laughs> I was like, this is heaven and hell hanging in balance. I'm praying for the eternity of your soul. And you're asking me to pray for your lost airports. Of course, I didn't say that. I said, sure. Prayed for him because for him, this was important. So I prayed with him, Lord Jesus, thank you. I accept you into my life. I make you Lord and Master in Jesus' name. Lord, we also pray that you will help Kai Jing to recover his airports in Jesus' name. At the end of the service, we went to the Connections Corner and we were met by Melvin and Yvette who were serving. And they also chit-chat and I shared with them what happened. And I said, hey, can we pray again for the lost airports? Because... We want to pray that God shows himself to be real. So I was kind of like putting God on the line here, okay? <laughs> God will help him to find. So we prayed, okay, finish, goodbye, everyone went home. And shortly after, on Sunday afternoon, I received the text. Kai Ching found his airports. <laughs> I'm very curious. I say he prayed to receive Christ for the first time, nobody clapped. I say he found his airports, everybody clapped. Friends, it's a glorious day when the Word of God is preached, when it goes out rapidly and is honoured. And here we have one example of just one person who was in our midst last Sunday who prayed to receive Christ, who received the Word and honoured it. And I believe that God hears His prayer, answers His prayer, not just as He invites Jesus into His life, but for every other little thing that we pray for as well. Amen? All praise and glory to God. Also, would you take note that in verse 1, Paul says to pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread. You go, uh, okay, what about that? Look at it more carefully. He says pray for us, right? Us, the apostolic team. And in, if you look at the context, it will be Paul, uh, Silas, Timothy. He says pray for us. Then pray for us for what? You know, pray that you know, uh, God will bless us, God will provide for us. God... No, he says pray for us. And then the next thing he says is, the word of the Lord may spread. Where's the connection? Pray for us, and then the word of the Lord may spread. 
What's happening here is that Paul had actually associated themselves so closely with the word of the Lord because he saw themselves to be instrumental in the ministry of propagating God's word. So much so that when he said, pray for us, in the same breath, he goes on to talk about the proclamation of the gospel that it may spread and spread rapidly and be honoured. Perhaps Paul was going from one city to another and he was proclaiming, he was preaching the word of God. Indeed, he was. Perhaps he was making disciples of those who came to know Christ. Indeed, he was. Perhaps he was planting churches in these cities. And indeed, he was. All of the above. And all of this contributes to the word of the Lord, to the work of the gospel being advanced. And he's saying, would you pray for the advancement of God's word? My friends, can we say the same of ourselves in the same way that Paul speaks of himself? So you think, ah, that's Paul, ah, missionary. If anybody, it will be our, our ministry workers, our pastors, uh, maybe it will be our evangelists and, and the people who are on the field doing the frontline work, but not me. Now friends, if that's what you are thinking, then maybe you are in the wrong church, uh. Because here, we really believe that God sees every one of us as ministers of the gospel, regardless of what our occupation or our day job may be. You can be a software engineer, you can be a teacher, you can be a full-time NS man, you can be a plumber, a student, full-time mummy, financial advisor, property agent, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that you would avail yourself regardless of what occupation that the Lord has called you to, to make that your mission field, so that you in your daily life can be responsible in some small way for the advancement of the gospel, for the propagation of God's word, that it may through you in some way spread rapidly and be honoured. Here's another way that we can also be responsible for propagating the word. Christmas is coming. You say, really? Yes, actually, if you look at it, Christmas is due in two months. This is what we have lined up for Christmas, a whole slew uh, of, of programs, but I'd like to highlight two in particular. We have the Bless to Bless, which we did last year, and this year, we are doing it again. This is an initiative of New Life where we will do outreach to the community, particularly those who are in need of a bit more financial help. So our connections with the community uh, grassroots have identified some who are in need of help. And volunteers from Covenant EFC will make ourselves available to go shopping with them. All right, we'll go grocery shopping with them with vouchers that are provided. And the whole point is to bless them and in so doing, to connect with them and to establish a relationship with the people that are here in our community. So this year, we've added on a new element, which is after you go shopping, to have a meal together. Or if not have a meal, perhaps have a drink or an ice cream, but to extend that time of fellowship. Now, we've called for some CGs to participate 
and we are still calling, all right? Even though the closing day was on 21st of October, the training is in fact this afternoon. But if you have not yet signed up, and if you or your CG would like to sign up, it's not too late. We still need more volunteers to participate. You can scan that QR code, and uh, don't worry about the training because it will be recorded, and you can still view that. Right, so this is one way that we want to celebrate Christmas by blessing those in our community and in so doing, take small steps to demonstrate to them the love of God in the gospel of Christ. We may not be preaching to them, but we certainly will be witnessing to them through our actions. Here's another way. Uh, on the 25th, of December. Christmas Day itself is a Sunday. We will be having our usual Christmas service here. And we'd like you to invite your friends because it's going to be an evangelistic service. We'll be having some short skits, uh, stirring musical items and a short gospel message. And we're telling you about this even though every year we do this. We want you to know now, two months in advance, that this is coming up because we'd like you to begin praying, to start praying about who there could be that you may possibly invite. And in this runway of two months, so that it's not a last-minute thing, you start to call everybody, hey, would you like to come, would you like to come? Not quite likely. But in the runway of the next two months, would you take time to pray and ask God to put upon your heart names of people that you can pray for, that you can spend time with, and over the course of these two months, to lay the tracks so that it would be appropriate closer to the date to invite them to come for the gift of Christmas. Pray, because prayer moves the hand of God and prayer propels the advancement of God's Word. But prayer also moves the hand of God in that it protects God's workers. In verse 2, this is what we read. Pray for us that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith. Paul's second prayer request was that they may be delivered from these wicked and evil people, or more generally, if we may put it, that as God's workers, that they may be protected from those who oppose the gospel. But who are these evil, these wicked and evil people. Some Bible scholars contend that they may have been those who were outside of the church, such as unbelieving Gentiles, or perhaps even Jews who were very hostile to the gospel, or even both. Uh, they opposed the faith in various ways. But there are also some who believe that they could belong to the church community, and if you have been reading our devotional journal, you would have read that perhaps this group are those that are within the church but are not true believers. This is because the word that is translated as wicked, atopos, can also mean out of place. It can mean unusual and out of the ordinary. So while it is translated wicked here, it actually has this other meaning, which in fact is the more common meaning that is used in the New Testament. So if human behavior is described to be out of place, to be unusual, 
to be improper. It gives the idea that it is, in that sense, evil or wrong because they are out of place among God's true people who have true faith. They do not have faith. They do not have the true faith. They are either false teachers or they are followers of this false teaching that are mingled in the church community. They are living an ungodly lifestyle and most likely they are opposed to the work of the gospel. When I was living overseas and um, I was uh, in, in, in a church, my friends in that country warned me about how there are some people in the church I need to be careful about. But we didn't know exactly who these people were. They were dangerous people because they were members of a pseudo-Christian kind of a cult. And they had infiltrated into the church, not just our church, but I was told in many churches. And their objective was to share with the people in the church, the true believers, about how this church is not the real church, but their church is the real church. And so to invite the people from the church that we were worshipping in and invite the true believers of the community of Christ to go into their cult church. Dangerous people. And they were very difficult to spot because they behaved just like Christians. They would come for worship, they would join the small group, they would pray, and then they would make friends with people. And, and as they do, they start to talk about, you know, how, you know, something about this church not quite right, you know. But I know of this other church, would you like to come and visit? And I was told that they were actually quite successful in luring number of believers to leave the true community of Christ to join some of these cults churches. I have no qualms to call this group of people wicked and evil people. They are opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and they do not have true faith. In the same way, Paul asks to pray that they may be delivered from wicked and evil people. But curiously, Paul asks that they be Delivered. He did not ask the church to pray that these people be removed. Right? Look carefully. He said, pray for us that we may be delivered from these evil and wicked people. He didn't ask that the evil and wicked people be removed from our midst. Now that's curious, isn't it? Don't you think it's more natural that if we pray, we, we pray that our roadblocks be removed. All the ungodly people Take them away out of my life, you know, and, and give me a clear road ahead. That, that's what we would pray for. But Paul did not pray that. So again, if you've been reading our Covenant devotional journal, and if you haven't, the reason I keep mentioning is because I want to encourage you to read our Covenant devotional journal. It's a great help for our daily quiet time and devotion. If you've been reading it, you would know that one reason that very likely Paul did not ask for God to stop the opposition was because suffering for Christ was part of his own calling. And more importantly, Paul knew that God can and will glorify his word even amidst great opposition. I'm also reminded that when 
his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. What did Jesus say? Our Father in heaven, all right, and you know the rest of it. Right at the end, he says, Lead us not into temptation, but remove all the evil from this world. No. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? But deliver us from evil. Now, God may choose to remove this spiritual opposition from us. That's God's prerogative. But that's not how He taught us to pray. He taught us to pray that we may be delivered from evil. The same exact words, deliver and evil. And Jesus teaching us to pray, not that the evil will be totally decimated, that they will come, but not yet. Instead, teaches us also to pray that we may be delivered from evil. Our leadership mentor, Pastor Edmund Chan, tells the true story of a pastor who in Nairobi, when he baptizes people, he would ask them, are you willing to die for Jesus? There was a young man who came to be baptized and he was confronted with this question and he, he was unsure and he, he couldn't say yes, so he turned around and he left. A couple of months later, he came again and asked to be baptized. And this time, when the pastor asked him, are you willing to die for Jesus? This time, he said, yes. So the pastor was very curious and asked him, why is it that the last time I asked you, you turned around and left? This time, you said yes. He said, when you asked me the last time, I wasn't sure because I know that when my father, who totally opposes the Christian faith, when he finds out that I'm baptized, he's going to kill me, literally kill me, as in take my life. So I wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't ready to die for Jesus. I turned around and left. But as I prayed, God convicted me and told me that if I was really to follow Jesus, then I must be willing to lay down my life for Jesus. So I went to tell my father that I'm going to get baptized. And my father said, yes, please go and be baptized. And, now, and he was totally stunned. So he asked his father, aren't you totally opposed to me being a Christian. And the father said, what you don't know is actually I found out long ago that you were a Christian and I was so angry with you that I put poison in your food. Again, literal. Eh? I put poison in your food to kill you. You ate it and you were okay. I did it a second time. You were still okay. I did it a third time and you were still okay. And I'm convinced your God is real. And so... You want to give God the glory, let's give God the glory. And so I come today and be baptized and I say, I am willing to die for Jesus. My friends, our God is a God who delivers His people from evil and wicked men. Our God is a God who delivers those who do His work from those who are opposed to the gospel. But who are God's workers? Who are God's workers Friends, if you would avail yourself, as I have said earlier, for God's use, for the advancement of God's Word, then you are God's worker. Not just the full-time missionaries, not just the frontline pastors and so on, but each and every one of us is called to be God's worker. But if you are also God's worker, then you are also susceptible to the spiritual opposition from the work that you are doing to advance God's work? If so, then would you join in to pray 
to pray that not only would God use you for the advancement of His Word, that God would also protect you from the spiritual opposition. And furthermore, to invite others, just as Paul is doing here, invite others to pray for you, even as you too pray for others, that we may be protected from the works of the evil one, even as we go about the advancement of the work of the gospel. Friends, prayer moves the hand of God as prayer protects God's worker. I'd like to close with the story of one worker of the Lord. And this, this woman, her name is Susanna Wesley. She was born in 1669. She was number 25 of 25 children. Yes, you heard me correctly. Her parents had 25 children. She married at the age of 19 to Samuel Wesley, and she herself had 19 children. But of the 19 children, unfortunately, uh, in those days, infant mortality is very high. Nine of them died. So she had 10 surviving children, and her husband was away from the family for most of the time, leaving her to do the farm work, which was their subsistence, leaving her to take care of the household, leaving her to care for the children. And in spite of all this, Susanna Wesley managed to homeschool all 10 of her children every day, six days a week, from 9 to 12, 2 to 5. Not only that, she insisted that not only the boys will have education, the girls will have an equal education, which was absolutely rare in her days. She even required that every one of her children must learn to read before they are put to do any other kind of work, such as work on the farm, which was the practice of the day. Susanna Wesley also understood that even though she had 10 children, it was important for her to spend individual time with each child. And she somehow devised a schedule so that every week she would spend one hour with each child individually before his or her bedtime. She was their spiritual guide, their mentor, and she instructed them in the faith and modeled for them how to live in Christ-likeness. Even in her busiest times, she would make time for her daily communion with God in prayer and in His Word. And she would pray for her children for about an hour a day. Where would a woman who is so busy in a house that is overflowing with 10 children, crazy, where would she find that quietness to pray? for such an extended period of time. This is her secret. She would sit in her favourite chair and everyone knew the signal. She would throw her apron over herself to cover herself, almost like a tent. This was her tent of meeting that she would meet with the Lord. And during this time, no one was to disturb her because she was reading God's Word and she was praying. Her grasp of the Word of God was so good and she was so good at communicating it that on Sunday afternoons, she would have a little Sunday school for her own children. And when she did that, her neighbours learned about it. Those further away learned about it and wanted to come and join. So much so that her household on Sunday afternoon had 
up to some 200 people attending her mini Sundays, not mini, her Sunday school every week. This was Susanna Wesley. And if you haven't already figured it out, two of her children were John Wesley, preacher who went on horseback, who preached for some three times a day at least, and had preached to no less than a million people and founded founded the Methodist Church. Also, Charles Wesley, another son, a brilliant musician, lyricist, and he wrote more than 6,000 hymns, some of which are still sung today, like Hark the Harrow Angel Sing, written by Charles Wesley. This is the legacy of Susanna Wesley. And I call you, my friends, in the same way, to avail yourself to be a worker for God, so that you don't see yourself as just a housewife, just a student, just an NS man, just a school principal, just a CEO, but you are a servant of the Most High God. My friends, as we, as we come to a close today, I'd like to call you that you would not just be a whatever it is that you do for your day job or for that matter, if you're unemployed. But to see that God has placed you in whatever that occupation may be, so that you may be a tremendous influence for Him, so that He may use you to reach those in that sphere, in that circle, that others are unable to reach. And once we have embraced this calling for our lives, we will pray for ourselves And like Paul, we will even ask others to pray for us that God's word may be propelled through us and that as God's workers, we may be protected from the spiritual opposition and may God be truly glorified. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Would you just take a moment to be quiet, to respond to the Lord and allow Him to continue to speak to your heart, to allow the Word of God to percolate into every corner, every nook and cranny of your heart. The Word of God today says, For not all have faith. For not all have faith. And I'd like to give us a chance now to respond in faith. I'd like to ask you, do you have faith? And if there are some of us who are here visiting with us, perhaps for the first time, or perhaps more than the first time, but you have not yet had a chance to receive Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Saviour today, as you listen to what it is for the Word of God to be propelled to be advanced so that it may be received. And you want to receive that word of God, you want to believe in the Lord Jesus. If today is the first time you'd like to respond to the Lord Jesus and to give your life to Him, to make Him your Lord and your Master, I'm just going to give you a moment to respond by raising your hand. If that's you, for the first time today, just like Kai Jing last week, for the first time, if you would like to say, Jesus, I'd like to invite you to come into my life, would you just very quickly raise your hand so that I can pray for you. 
I'd like to make a second call to those of us who are believers, and I believe that's the majority of us sitting here today. I'd like you to respond in faith, because not all have faith, but to you, I call you to have faith, to rise up to do the work of the gospel, to avail yourself to be a worker of the gospel. I'd like to make a call to you to be ready to say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I want to be used of you, regardless of what my occupation, what my day job may be. Wherever you have placed me, I'm willing, Lord, that you use me as your vessel, as your instrument, that through me, the gospel may be advanced, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured. If that's you, you say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to avail myself. I may not even know how to, but for a start, Lord, I say, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing. Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Thank you. Many hands raised. Just a moment more. If, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Because the Lord sees your hand and the Lord is pleased. Father, you see every hand that is raised and Lord, you know every heart that is yielded to you saying, yes, Lord, I'm willing. So Lord, would you do a work in, in everyone who says today, Lord, I'm willing to be a worker of the gospel, regardless of where you have placed us, would you help us to see that that place, that job, that work that you have given to us now becomes a mission for you for us, that we may be a faithful servant of God, that we may be that conduit for the word of the Lord to be poured out into our lives and through us to minister to those that are around us. I pray for each one who has responded today that you will use him, that you will use her to your praise and glory. And would you protect them from the opposition that will come? Because it will come, but Lord, you are greater than any opposition. Would you shield them, protect them? Would you hold them? And Father, would you use them to your praise and glory? Amen. Amen. Would you rise with me as we call on the Holy Spirit to come? Because what we have given our lives to is needful of the empowerment of God. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come, to come and dwell in our lives and to use us for His purposes. Come Holy Spirit. Oh,
spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.